Everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy up here, Vlad. We have made it to episode 76, and we have an operational excellence roundtable featuring Max Krug and David Kreitzler. Max, Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for being here. Great. Thanks yeah. for having us. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Excited uh, to be here. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. So we are going to let uh, Vlad do some uh, do some emceeing of this. But first, I wanted to make sure that we we allowed Max to reintroduce himself and, and Dave to introduce himself. So, so Max, would you mind uh, introducing or reintroducing yourself to the listeners of this show? Okay, Max Krug. Um, my background's in uh, manufacturing. Spent most of my career in manufacturing, a little bit of distribution, educations in industrial engineering. Um, Spent my whole career, you know, working on continuous improvement stuff, went off on my own in 2005, then sort of rebranded myself in like 2017 as future state engineering because I was tired of doing point solutions. And it's like, well, we can actually engineer what your future state looks like. So my organization now, what we do is we help companies create that blueprint of what their future state, what they want it to be and help them achieve that. That that is amazing. Um, I will I will shout out Max and I have a show together called On the Shoulder of Giants, and we're getting ready to launch batch two, where we've got five or ten episodes coming out talking about all of the tools that you can use for operational excellence. So thank you for that, Max. Uh, David, would would you mind introducing yourself, please? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Dave. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and uh, I own a operations consulting business called the Chrysler Club. And, uh, you know, we work with business leaders in the manufacturing space specifically to create uh, systems to help them drive growth and uh, operate with excellence. And um, my background is more than 20 years uh, in manufacturing uh, operations leadership roles, held various uh, uh, operational leadership roles and PL responsibilities for multiple facilities, uh, including, uh, you know, ERP implementations, continuous improvement, lean manufacturing, kind of all things uh, that we're talking about today. So excited to be here with you all and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Fantastic. Really appreciate you both joining us today. I wanted to throw maybe a an easy but first question at, uh, at the two of you. So operational excellence. My assumption is that most of the listeners are going to be familiar with the term, but could you give us maybe a definition of what it means for you and what have you seen, I guess, in really in your experience as far as operational excellence goes yeah they, uh max you want to jump in you want me to yeah so so i thought the first question was going to be easy so this is easy <laughs> how much time do we have here, here? <laughs> there you go <laughs> so i'll try to summarize quickly what i how i define it and dave can add his comments so really what i do is like the way i define it is like it all starts with the customer needs and so we understand what are the needs of the customer and those are inputs into our organization. And we, we really design the organization to achieve those needs of the customer. So it's like, I don't have a true definition of like, Oh, it's this, this, and this, but it's like focusing on the customer needs, designing the internal systems and processes to support those needs better than our competitors or better than what the customer can get from a substitute product or service. That's my my uh, elevator speech for operational excellence. David, yeah, thoughts, it, ideas? Yeah, I think what I would add to that. I mean, I completely agree with where you're where, with where you're at with it, Max. I mean, what I would add to that is, you know, when I think about operational excellence, it really comes down to starting with that, you know, 
from the customer perspective, right? And how do we create that value? But internally, what I like to look at are the systems, the processes behind those systems that ultimately impact two things, the culture of your organization and profitability, because those are the two kind of lifebloods of what we're doing. So what, what it means to me to operate with excellence is that you have developed systems that not only deliver value externally, but that deliver value internally to your team through culture and through profitability. So return to shareholders. Yep. Absolutely. Let me ask- and it, I was go gonna ahead, say, if, if I may go ahead and, and add on, right? So I certainly come to operational excellence much more through the automation space as I would imagine many of our listeners are, right? So uh, I think of, of operational excellence as the people and the process side of the people process um, technology kind of offerings and what, what we as automation and manufacturing very much talk about, right? So it's it's creating a system within your entire organization so you can be successful and then creating systems within that so that people can go and do the best jobs that they possibly can. And it, uh, as from the technology side, I came to operational excellence because, you know, we go deliver a theoretical piece of technology and I've seen most of the training is an engineer is typing engineering PowerPoints on their laptop while you're driving to site on the last day to go give a, a, a 20 pay or a 20 PowerPoint, you know, presentation of, okay, th- this is how you use the system we spent the last two years building, right? And so th- that is a miss. But then on the other side, it's also how do you pick the correct pieces of technology? And when I say pieces of technology, you know, to some extent, PLCs are PLCs and hardware is hardware. But when we talk about different software packages, when we talk about a SCADA or an MES, maybe you even talk about, you know, what are the correct HMI? What software should we use to scale across our organization? And certainly when we talk about ERP or other much larger conversations, that's when we need to look at what best serves and what best fits the organization as opposed to picking something and trying to pick the choice that we have throughout the organization. So I've seen lots of misses on that. And from my perspective on the automation manufacturing side, when I talk to those folks, it's very much kind of the people and the processes that help the the groups and the technology succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think to add, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead Dave. No, I was just going to add to that. I mean, I, I think what, to kind of put that into a bucket, Dave, you know, what I end up seeing is when you hear the word business systems, right. Or, or systems as, as we often refer to it, almost everybody's immediate thought is technology. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we break that down and we were talking before we got rolling, you know, it's the planning people process. Mm -hmm. Technology is included in that, right. It's the four key pillars I call them, but you know, technology is at the end of that and they all have to work together that's the system, right? Yes. You, you layer in the technology. And, and so I just, I wanted to add that because I think there's a, a lot of confusion just in general, when you talk to people, what's a system, you know, and then you hear, well, what's a process and a system and how do the, all those things work together? They work in unison. Those four things work in unison to develop and create these systems that ultimately allow you to, you know, grow to, you know, operate with excellence to reduce waste and, you know, improve quality and fill in the blank. Right. Could we, and could I always looked at technology. A, go ahead, as Max, a, go ahead. I looked at technology as an enabler, right? It's not the silver bullet. It's not the solution. It enables us to get to the next level. Yeah. But if it's not applied correctly, you know, it's just going to create more problems. Yeah. 
That's a great point because you can utilize, I like that word specifically, Max, because you can utilize it positively and negatively, right? Because it it really can go either way, depending on what specific thing we're talking about. So can we maybe break down the four pillars? I think that would be an interesting conversation to have as well. And I would maybe reiterate the sentiment coming from an automation background is that you hear a lot of, I want to say different, more like tools rather than methodologies, or you hear about like Lean Six Sigma, you hear about, you know, like sampling of your process, you hear about systems for, for an automation engineer, you know, a business system does not necessarily translate to what is applied to the whole business, but rather maybe as Dave mentioned, like a PLC and HMI. So I think there's a lot of maybe confusion or overlapping wording. Could you break down the operational excellence pillars for us and so we can maybe dive into each area at least a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 happy to take that. I mean, from my standpoint, when I when I you know talk about those things, it's planning, people, process, and technology. And I always say it's in that very specific order. And you know, each one serves its own very specific function. Uh, you know, the planning cycle can be at multiple points throughout, you know, the creation and, you know, improvement of the system. Um, But when it comes down to it, you know, business systems are really created through, uh, you know, planning and people, okay, and they involve process and technology. So to me, that's the best way to kind of define and break all of that down. And how do they work and play together? I'll I'll leave it up to everybody else to jump in. And also, you know, I look at it as you look at the organization as a system, right? So a system is a combination of interdependent and interrelated processes. So if we don't understand how those processes interrelate and inter, are interdependent, right, then we start to put in um, sub-optimization or subsystems, right, because the process isn't working correctly. So one of the indicators I look at when I go into companies is when they're having problems is like, what, what subsystems have they put in place? Oh, I got my little spreadsheet over here where I keep my own data because the ERP never gives me what I need, right? That's a subsystem. It only okay. took 13 minutes for Excel to come up. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me ask a question on that like last thought, right? So I obviously like understand that there's a need to document and understand your own systems. But in your experience, how good are the... I would say like manufacturers at doing that, right? Like, so when you show up to a site and you most likely as a first step, ask them, well, have you started with the process of mapping your entire like product flow or it, it could be any like subsystem or, mm-hmm. or the entire business. How good is that model usually? And like, what's, I guess like if I'm trying to understand like the next step mm-hmm. also, like what does it truly take to maybe get to a good position, right? Just, understanding our business. From yeah, my experience, I, the first time I do a map like that, I use value stream mapping as a technique. Mm-hmm. It's probably the first time everyone's ever looked at the organization as a system. Mm-hmm. That's my experience. I'd like to hear what Dave's experience is. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that, Max. And here's here's what ends up happening, um, you know, I find most often, right? You asked the first question that you did, Vlad. You have all your processes documented. When's the last time, you know, you've kind of developed the value stream map, those types of things, right? So that's question number one. And inevitably people say, oh yeah, 
yeah, here's all my documentation. So my next follow-up question is always, when's the last time it was audited, right? Because that is the real meat behind it. And whether it's an internal audit or an external audit by engaging, you know, folks like us, uh, that's really, you know, where the rubber meets the road, because it doesn't matter what's been documented. What matters is what's happening on a day-to-day basis. And if there's no audit trail behind that and they can't answer Oh, we we have it on a quarterly audit schedule or whatever it happens to be, then you know kind of what you're dealing with. And then you can start to work towards, all right, you know, to to Max's point, you know, well, let's start with the value stream map. Then we're gonna have to break down and start getting into some, you know, more detailed process mapping. We're gonna have to be looking at what the KPIs are telling us to say, you know, where are areas of improvement throughout this? And people usually have a feel for those types of things, but uh, yeah. And uh, Vlad, if, if I may kind of add on, I think to your initial question are how good are manufacturers at this? Um, in a word, terrible, right? Um, I would say generally they're very bad, but that's because they've never gone through, you, you know, one of these, uh, these exercises in the past. Perhaps they, they almost certainly don't understand their business or at least their floor, their, their plant as a system. And even if you go look at specific subsystems, right? So I, I'm doing a project or I was doing a project uh, with a very particular company, right? So, so they have a filler and they have a bunch of issues with downtime on just that particular section of the line that's part of a much larger, you know, chunk of their organization, right? So uh, it, it's a core component, but it's, you know, one one hundredth of the organization. And we, we were going to do some, some troubleshooting work. And so as part of that, I'm like, okay, how many you know, pieces of machinery are right there, there, right? So there, there are 10 pieces of machinery. And I'm like, okay, how many sub pieces or sub pieces of machinery are there or systems on there? And they're like, oh, we have no idea, right? And um, literally, well, actually the, the first answer was 60 or 70, right? So there was a very particular answer. And I'm like, wow, what are the odds? It's a round number like that. This is awesome. We'll go block diagram it out. And then we can do some troubleshooting and training based upon that. And then it's like, well, these are kind of estimates, right? There are like seven pieces times 10 subsystems that gets us to about this number. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to be so much work. So typically, and like, as I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, there are there are systems, but each, um, each piece of machinery is a system in and of itself. And it is very difficult to, at the core, troubleshoot what the problem looks like if we don't understand what the the system that that is that is the machine or the system that is the line or or the grouping of machines look like yeah and i want yeah, to the, oh god max i wanted to piggyback on what you said dave so i agree it's like they have the documented procedure and then what happens is we get so far deviated from that so a key element of the operational excellence is the link between people and process, we need to build accountability into the process. So when I say that, a lot of people don't know what that means. But if we build accountability in the process, we stop that process of deviating, continually deviating, and then we're way off off target, and then we don't get the results. We're like, why are we getting results? Because yeah, the processes that-, that we designed aren't being executed the way they were planned, right? So that's yeah. 
the linkage. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, for most people in that space, right, from a from an operations leadership standpoint, the easy thing to go to is we have a people problem, right? Yep, How many times have you guys heard things like, you know, well, these people out on the shop floor, you know, they don't know what the heck they're doing, right? <laughs> and if they would just care, right? <laughs> exactly. And and so and the other thing I wanted to tack on to Dave, what you were saying, and, and kind of goes back to Vlad, how you started the question, but you know, most of these organizations, and and I've kind of found it doesn't necessarily follow a revenue band, uh, but most of the manufacturing organizations kind of run on triage. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think is the root cause behind, you know, that deviation that Max, you talked about. It's just a consistent level of triage. And until you start to take a look at your business like a system and start to diagnose the problems, systematically, then you're going to continue to be in this triage exercise. So, um, you know, I, I think that's where it all stems from, at least from my experience. Let me ask you agree. maybe a, a, like a clarifying question on that last statement, plus uh, what Dave was mentioning on the filler project. How do these conversations initially start? And I guess like my thought is, you know, are manufacturers looking at a specific piece of machinery and like, this is something that's running terribly. We're looking for someone to look into it and improve it. Are they looking at the whole business? Maybe we're looking to grow and get to the next level of you know productivity in our specific line. How do these questions or initiatives come to be or to originate, I guess? Yeah, from my perspective, what I've seen uh, is, you know, it's kind of very specific focus. So some sort of KPI is triggered the, you know, hey, we have an issue over here and we need to start having some conversations around it. But typically those are going to be symptoms that people are seeing. Uh, it's not, you know, nowhere near what the real problem is and nowhere near what the root cause of it is. So it's, you know, peeling back that onion, uh, so to speak. But it, it, it typically, at least in my experience, starts with, you know, some pretty specific pain point based around a KPI that they've measured to say, hey, boy, we're spending a lot of money on, you know, rework. Why is that? So those types of things. And I would agree 100%, Dave. It's the two things I see is lack of looking at their organization as a system and then being able to do root cause analysis and, prob and you know, problem solving. Those two things alone, it's like people just struggle. And so somebody, I guess, like if I understand it correctly, needs to ask like a certain question, right? Otherwise, they could be having a chronic issue that's unresolved for years, if not decades, right? Which is probably what is being experienced in a lot of cases, right? It's just no one's really looking at the right place to even ask that question, even though it might not lead, may not be the root cause, but it's still a present indicator that something is, I guess, wrong. Yeah, because yeah, I, I go ahead, Max. I was I was trained by Dr. Goldratt. And so Dr. Goldratt said, What's the what's the definition of an expert? It's the person that can ask the right question. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, what I would equate that question to, Vlad, is you know, you've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, the great resignation, right? And when I look at what are what are the symptoms, we see turnover, we see, you know. Uh, those types of things, the great resignation. But when you start to dig back, what do we what do we uncover? We uncover, you know, 
leadership that doesn't necessarily effectively communicate. We find a lack of systemization, a lack of, you know, culture and engagement and empowerment. Those are all things that, you know, systems uh, and creating effective systems can resolve. Yet we say things, you know, like, well, I just can't find anybody good to work here. Like the government keeps people on payroll. So of course, nobody wants to go back to work. And while those things may be true in, you know, kind of a very narrow window for people and things, by and large, that's not the issue. By and large, people are tired of working for bad bosses. And that's not changed. People just now have a voice for that. So the problem has always been the same problem. You know, we're just choosing to ignore what the real problem is and then addressing it. And we're masking all of that in things that make us feel better by saying things like we can't find people to work. Nobody good does any, you know, nobody, nobody does any good work out on the shop floor. They're always messing stuff up. Yeah, if they would just pay attention, we wouldn't exactly. Have you know, and then and then the shop floor is, you know, well, if they just pay me five dollars an hour more, I would pay attention. No, it's all based on the system. The system has provided a way for you to skirt the system and not follow the process. And, you know, from a leadership standpoint, you are not investing in that infrastructure to to eliminate waste, to reduce error and to, you know, mistake proof the process. I think it was Deming that had a quote that said, the system is designed perfectly to give you the results that you're getting. It it was him. And that's 100 percent true. You know, it was. I, I love this. I'd, I'd like to add in a couple more different ways. So I, I again see lots of, uh, I don't know, it almost starts at a point solution or pain solutions. And you go and you dig in to do some root cause analysis and, and you find an operational excellence opportunity. I would say additionally, uh, and I think I've had this conversation with both Dave and Max and Vlad separately, I think that there are lots of companies that are currently turning over, right? So whether ownership groups or private equity or second or third or fourth generation are taking over and they look at it and they're like, this doesn't seem right. So I think that there are certainly lots of opportunities as we change over ownership leadership to, to take a larger look at the organization in and of itself. I think we're also seeing a lot of new money. So so startups, I don't know. In the last month, I think I've talked to half a dozen different quote unquote, like startup or small manufacturing companies that have lots of VC, private equity, bank money, um, and th- they're going to do something, right? Because they think that there's opportunities in manufacturing, be it food or otherwise, especially you see a lot of contract manufacturing kind of moving um, in that direction. So I, I think that as we have new money, new people uh, coming in, there'll be lots of rethinking, especially if ownership leadership really cares about the organization and goes then and buys the company and has lots of conversations and asks them what's going well, what's going poorly. And if they do, then I think that we'll see a lot more people kind of moving towards what we're calling operational excellence, whether it's through someone in this conversation or they go read a couple of books and say, hey, we should go look at it as a system or, hey, we should go create accountability and cultures of respect and and kind of those things. And I think that will help alleviate a bunch of issues. Uh, I guess in in my experience and to, to Dave's point of the great resignation, good people work for good bosses, whether they, and they're almost never getting paid above or at top of range, but good people stay with good bosses. 
if you are a bad organization, you could pay twice what the going rate is, but you're going to lose people as quickly as you can find them because there's no amount of money worth putting up with the stress and struggle of a bad boss and a bad organization and no standard procedures and, you know, constant struggle between the carpeted and the uncarpeted spaces in manufacturing and kind of all across industrial facilities. I would agree. I would agree. I do want to ask a question based on a statement, David, you made, and I, I will steal that saying, peeling back the layers of the onion, right? And so uncovering the problems, maybe that even Dave just mentioned, what would you, I guess, recommend thinking about it like a manufacturer that is aware that there is a problem, right? But maybe is not ready to pull the trigger for an external consultant just yet. And he's trying to just get like the basic, I want to say like steps in place to at least figure out what the problem is to, again, like the best of their ability. Um, and, you know, like I also maybe like a slight tangent question to that, to that one question is also how I want to say broad and how deep do you want to go, right? And the example that Dave mentioned before on the filler, I could certainly as an automation engineer, imagine myself trying to implement a lot of like fault codes that, is, that are going to be passed into a database and that's all stored. There's a lot of data that we're now collecting, but what are maybe the higher level steps before we get to that level? And then how do you maybe systematize would be the word, get to the root cause without necessarily getting lost in the weeds, so to say? Yeah, I mean, great question. And when I think about it, you know, the key really comes down to empowering and engaging people, people that are closest to the process. As you start to look for waste and different improvement opportunities, engaging people that are, you know, adjacent to the process. So if there's somebody out there that wants to get started with any type of, you know, kind of operational excellence or start to work towards that, from my standpoint, it's not so much about engaging a, a, an expert, and that's really what you're doing if you engage somebody on this panel. I've spent more than 25 years doing this. I've I've made a lot of you know poor choices. I've learned a lot of hard lessons uh, in those uh, years, and so you are paying for that experience. All that said, what you can do on your own can be extremely impactful. And the best place to start is number one, having what the why is. What is the why of the organization? Why are we trying to operate with excellence? Why do we want to improve our quality? Why are we trying to improve our processes? Breaking all of that down for people and then literally kind of, you know, throwing yourself on the sword, if you will, from a leadership perspective, having a company-wide meeting and saying things like, look, here's where we're at. Here's where I'd like to go. Here's why I'd like to do this. Here's how I think we can do it together. And oh, by the way, I'm going to maybe make some mistakes. I'm going to maybe make some missteps. I'm looking to you guys to not only hold me accountable, but to help give me the ideas, give us the ideas if it's a large organization that you have multiple layers of leadership in there. But have those very candid, very real conversations with people and then do two things beyond that. And this is where a lot of people miss. The two things that you have to do beyond that is support the ideas and get the hell out of people's way. 
Don't take six months to decide, well, you know, boy, this is, boy, $1,000, that's a lot of money, <laughs> you know. And meanwhile, you're literally burning through tens of thousands of dollars that you don't recognize. So those are the two things that you have to do. Stay the heck out of people's way, support that effort, and be ready to make change because that's what will crush this stuff internally. You have like one opportunity when you have that conversation with people, you literally, in my experience, have one opportunity to come good on it. Otherwise, forget it. You know, you might as well just relish yourself to say, this is where we're going to stay at. This is our lane. And I would say for me, comment on that really quick, Max, before I let you jump in. Uh, Again, without mentioning any previous employers, I've seen where you know, those initiatives start with, you know, a lot of fire in them and with, I would say, really good intentions. But in many instances, you know, they become sort of like new metrics that we've implemented. And instead of empowering the people, they just, you know, there's like reward systems that get put in place and people submit their ideas and they never see them implemented. So it, uh, yeah, that- the fire dies down pretty quickly, right? But that is the problem. That's why I laid out what I did in the way that I did, Vlad, because it's really, in my experience, it's the why that's missing. People are doing it for the wrong reason. They're starting out with the, I want to increase profitability, but they're doing it in a backhanded way. Instead of just being upfront to say, look, I want to increase profitability because I'd really like to go into this new market. And to do that is going to require a significant capital investment. And in order to do that, we really need to improve our, our our overall quality. We need to improve our efficiency and utilization. And so people go about it the wrong way. And when that message gets communicated out to people doing the work, they feel very slighted. And it's very difficult to get behind that message when you don't get the full picture. So it's about, you know, communication, effective communication and transparency. And if you do those things well, you know, you could lead an army uh, into victory. It's it's crazy what can happen in the in a very short amount of time with a very uh, limited amount of resources. I believe it. I just I haven't seen a transformation personally. I guess so. That's why I'm always a little bit skeptical based on what I've seen, at least in my experience. Max, sorry, go ahead. So a couple of comments. So I agree with Dave. I actually have an experience. So I went into a company and it was a union environment and the union and management was like fire and gasoline is the best way to describe it. And so they wanted to, you know, today's point, there's unlimited opportunities for making improvements. And so you got to start. So what I did is I took, we did the Bay Street map. I took an area that was a big problem area. And what I did is I brought the team in and I said, okay, I just want you to complain about your job. So I let them complain about all the issues in their department. I just made a list on the, on the board and I said, okay, let's take this list and make a problem statement from this list. Right. And so they came up with a problem statement. I said, okay, I want you to think about solutions that can solve this problem and go away for a couple of days, come back. And when they left, I said to the leadership team, whatever they suggest we're implementing, I don't care what the suggestion is because nobody's ever listened to them. And do you think if they come up with an idea, they're going to let it fail? No way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be, I want to prove a point. And, and to, to tack onto that, Max, I mean, I uh, have seen multiple transformations, uh, Vlad, to get to your point, 
um, where, you know, but it, it really is a leadership buy-in situation and that support factor. And when you kind of, you know, that's why I say, you know, fall on the sword, so to speak, uh, when you approach it in that method and, you know, to Max's point, you engage those people and you start to listen, you know, they know the roadblocks because they're literally dealing with yep. them every day. Yep. And, you know, it may have been a while since you've really been in the weeds with people mm-hmm. and seen the things that they see on a consistent basis. And again, you know, so often you talk to leadership and it's like, yeah, but, you know, Joe's jaded and, you know, he's been here for 30 years and, you know, we tried some of his stuff and he doesn't know. And it's like, <laughs> well, but, you know, did you really, did you really? And, and, you know, what was like your takeaway on what he was saying mm-hmm. versus you intently listening and then peeling back the onion of what he was saying. And then, Oh, by the way, how about we involve some other people to have, you know, that input intermixed with other people that kind of touch the process. It's all of those little aspects that really go to ensure that kind of, you know, sustainability and adoption uh, that leads to the long-term transformation. Absolutely. And if I may add on to that. So when I go and I talk to organizations, I guess mostly internally myself, you know, I look at it, are they, is it a complete turnaround situation? Are we gutting everything they have building from scratch and starting over? And that's kind of one thing. And none of this would necessarily directly apply to, to that, but if it's not, and I would say the vast majority of quote unquote, good organizations are stable organization, right? right. We have people at the organization that should know the answers to these problems. And, and in that instance, I basically say not, you know, you pull together a group of people who know what they're talking about and they have 90% of the answers that you're looking for. Right. And uh, the the goal of the expert, the goal of the consultant is to get that 90% out to help add the two or 3% that they know and to figure out the seven or 8% that is unknown in there. And that is the transformation process, right? So you can get 90% of the way there with the knowledge in a good room of people who actually care. It just boils down to the one, do we listen? And two, can we implement quickly enough to get some of those quick wins and as soon as we turn around the the oldest, the, the people who have been there 20, 30, 40 years, and if we can get them on our team, they're never letting anything fail, right? If we can get the people who have been there the longest to join our team, they're going to drive the entire organization forward and they're not going to let the organization fail because they are the they are the pace setters of the, uh, the employees. Um, so I would say that that is kind of number one. And back to, to Dave's um, other point, when I go in, depending upon what the, 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 when I go in and have these conversations, depending upon what it looks like, you know, yes, you could talk about these kind of in flowery language, or you could go say, hey, you know, let's go do some calculations and calculate what it means to the profitability and, and to the bottom line, right? And even if it's just rough, you know, some people will know, you know, 1% additional throughput is a million dollars a year or $5 million a year. And even if those are just rough numbers, and even if you're only saving a couple percent or adding a couple of additional percent, that's huge dollars to the bottom line for, for five grand or 10 grand or $100,000 to go ahead and implement these solutions. And that being able to show the additional profitability of not just now at this moment, but year over year is a very good way in order to get the, the, the rest of the, the C-suite 
um, bought in, especially on the financial side, you know, um, and then, then you stop worrying about it. And then as soon as you have a project that is allowing you to increase profitability of your organization, then everything becomes much easier, right? Uh, when I talk about, you know, projects that pay for themselves, you know, that, that has got to be what you look for. Um, and I want to throw out some great resources. So I know David on LinkedIn and potentially on his website, he talks a lot about different tools, different resources, different things. I'm getting a yes. So we'll go ahead and put the Chrysler Club website on there. I know Max puts out weekly videos um, where he talks, uh, Max is at, I don't know, he's got to be coming close to like 80 or 90 of these videos that, that he talks about different themes. Um, and he he did operational excellence. He did, I think, scheduling. I know he's coming out with a series now that is his own experiences. Uh, so you guys should absolutely check that out. Future State Engineering. Um, and then also all of the videos on his Vimeo that he posts at least once a week on LinkedIn. And then, as I said before, Max and I have an On the Shoulders of Giants show in which we talk specifically about this that you can find on the Manufacturing Hub um, network as uh, as well. So all of those are great resources. Um, do, do you guys have other books or other resources that you want to uh, want to go ahead and shout out while we're talking about these? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. I mean, uh, as you said, Dave, the majority of uh, the things that I create available, you know, across social on my website as well. Um, we've also kind of re-recently uh, introduced our newsletter. So we're doing a, a weekly, uh, call it System Saturday, basically a, a very quick, less than five minute, every kind of newsletter is less than five minutes, one actionable system related tip uh, you know, each Saturday morning. So uh, that's just another resource that is out there and available for people uh, to consume. But yeah, any any of the videos I post uh, pretty much daily uh, across social with, uh, you know, videos and breaking down some of these things that we're talking about, both uh, tactically and uh, strategically. So. Absolutely. Uh, Max, do you have any other resources? I, I know you are a resource in and of yourself. Yes. Do you have any other, do you have any other resources, uh, either stuff you've made or, or books or otherwise for people to take? I think it's at? a good opportunity to go to conferences. I know during COVID, a lot of conferences went to virtual, but there's so many good conferences you can go and learn from. So that's another great resource. Yep. And there's a lot of usually experts speaking at those conferences. So it's a huge learning opportunity. Yeah. At the top, a uh, couple you could mention. Look out for. Uh, I know the theory of constraints is having one the end of um, October, October in Orlando, oh, and then I didn't realize that 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 will be a good one. Uh, what's the manufacturing excellence? They're having one in Dallas, also about the same time frame. Seems like there's an opportunity to have a list of like manufacturing oriented conferences and a way to yes. sort through them, but that's just the yeah. food for thought in, in, in general. That's at least like how I feel right now. But um, maybe if I, I would, I do want to throw in a question on the tool side, right? So again, being maybe like on the plant floor and looking back at my uh, personal experience, you hear a lot about Lean Six Sigma tools, you hear about Kaizen's mm -hmm. uh, five, five Y's, you know, five S or six S. You hear about all these different, I want to say, implementations of the system is there. And and I, I want to say that in, in my at least experience, in many ways, an organization gets extremely excited when somebody pitches the idea of a new tool. You know, there's a large meeting. Again, we all get behind, like, let's do cause analysis. We're going to figure this out. 
And then, you know, like two months later, it's not really producing what we expected. Then again, I can get into the reasons as to why from like what I've seen, but maybe could you recommend like how do organizations master these tools and at the same, maybe like thought, like, do you consult them in figuring out how to continuously, I want to say like get over the learning curve for some of those tools and implement it properly where they actually drive results? More of a Easy question, Vlad. Yeah, no, yeah. no. But, but, well, see, I told you they would get good thing harder, he right? Asked a, yo, well, I was going <laughs> to say, good thing he asked everyone to define operational excellence as the easy question to begin yes. with. So, yeah. so, so now we can just throw all of the tools and, and all of the, the systems thinking. Can, can, well, we perhaps, can, can we perhaps break this up a little bit into like the theory of constraints and lean and Six Sigma and, and all of that as like man, management philosophies? Can we talk about philosophies and then tools, Vlad? Because I think that's going to make this slightly less convoluted of an answer. Well, so, I, I would like to take a stab at Vlad's question before we do that, because in my opinion, there is a very simple answer to what he asked. Um, and, and we could definitely go convoluted, but I'd like to try to make it simple yeah. for everybody. Uh, and when I look at it, to me, it's not so much about the specific tool, because once you learn the value of each tool in terms of solving problem, that's kind of one issue. But let's set that aside. You really asked about the adoption rate and, and how do you impact that? And, you know, we all have seen those types of things. And from that standpoint, to me, it is about getting quick wins and putting in the repetitions of utilizing the tools. It's not so much about having a textbook uh, Kaizen, in my opinion. Some people will argue this. So this uh, yeah. expressly is my opinion. Uh, you know, it's not so much about having a perfect success execution or event. To me, it's very much about getting into the spirit of it, which to me speaks back to the culture that I brought up early on. What's our why? What are we really trying to accomplish here? And even if you get 20% out of that in the first go around, to me, that's a huge win because you're, you're engaging people, you are speaking into the culture piece, and ultimately you're going to have an impact on the profitability side. So I apply that same thought process regardless of the tool. That's what I encourage people to do that I work with. It's about What's the retention rate of utilizing the tool and then putting in the work, which means that leadership has to allow, uh, you know, some flexibility and time to not only execute the tools, but to stay patient because nine times out of 10, they think there should be bigger progress made. And in my book, the win comes from going through the exercise. The more of those you do, the more wins, the faster you'll see, the bigger results. It's all interconnected. And I'd like to make a comment. And so I, the mistakes I see companies make, and it goes back to what Dave said earlier, is they deal with the effects, right? And it's like they see the effects. It's like, oh, let's apply this tool. But they haven't peeled back the onion and said, what's the real root cause? And if we can get to the just that, let's peel back the end a little bit and get to the root cause and apply the tool to the root cause. Now we're seeing leverage. So I think a lot of times we do these activities and we don't see the benefits. I mean, I worked at a large organization that everyone was a six Sigma black belt. And so they're doing hundreds of black belt um, initiatives. And at the end of the year, they're like, Oh, 
we had $55 million savings in black belt projects that we did this year. I'm like, wow, profit share is going to be great this year. It's up 55 million. They're all, that didn't turn the profit. Ah. Well, well, what is it then? Right. It's, <laughs> it's paper, right. Calculations, no real results. And so I think to the point, I agree with Dave. It's like, right. You can get some big wins, but you got to do the planning piece up front, understand where you want to apply, what you want to apply, apply it. And my rule of thumb is like, the first initiatives that you do get big gains, right? Then you'll get the momentum. Mm-hmm. That's a that's Hi. an interesting like thought, uh, Dave. Let me kind of finish that thought, I guess, and let you jump in in just a moment. But it almost feels, or again, like this is what I've observed in many facilities that something like a black belt in Six Sigma is almost like an exclusivity club rather than a collaborative environment, right? So they would run those initiatives by only the people who hold that designation versus trying to get everybody involved. And I think it's in a certain way, like a missed opportunity, right? Because as uh, like even David suggested, it, it really needs to involve those in the field who see the problem with their true eyes. And so I guess my, my point to the previous uh, discussion is that it's hard to figure out how these tools fit in the organization. And sometimes they can almost not necessarily eliminate people from it, but kind of create their own barriers in, in their own way, right? Like in inaccessibility barriers, so to speak. Dave, you had a comment? Yeah, no, no. I, I think to, to David's point that no one on this panel is going to disagree. It's about applying the correct tools at, uh, at the correct time. And the value of operational excellence is generally people who know more than just lean or more than just Six Sigma or, or an LSS black belt or, or something along those lines, right? So I think the value is, is having a broad and wide uh, toolkit. Kind of t- to Vlad's original point, I see lots of organizations kind of churn through these initiatives, right? So every two, three, five years, it's it's TPM or it's TQM or it's 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 LSS or it's you know Six Sigma or we go to Lean or we, we do kind of every any and all of these things, but we focus on something for six months or a year, then we kind of backslide, forget all of the tools, and then they're like, oh, why are we doing so terrible? Oh, Lean Lean's terrible. We need to focus on Six Sigma because we have a quality issue, right? Or we need TPM or or we need a, a particular company's branded flavor of whatever this is because this was a, a VP's, you know, you know, this is a VP's, you know, what they want to do. Maybe they, they were a black belt in a former life, right? So it, it's one of those things. And so I see it is absolutely the correct tool for the correct job. And the value of bringing someone in is knowing what the correct tool is and is asking the right questions. The biggest downside that I see in many organizations is, is continuing to churn through these process without taking the learnings that they need to take from a, a series of lean initiatives or a lean six sigma or, or a theory of constraints or kind of any of those things. And so that's where I see kind of a lot of the downsides in these is we forget by going through the trainings, the things that we've learned in the last 20 years. And I, I ironically, sometimes uh, you, you come in and they're like, oh yeah, we did some of this work. Let me send you a slide deck from 1999 or 2001 that actually would solve this part of the problem oh man, I wish we realized that, that we had this, we've had this tool and th- these answers for 20 years, right? So I would say that that's kind of 
to, to, to Vlad's initial point of the, the whole smattering of all of the different theories and management styles and tools, it, it's very much the right tool for the right job. And the skill becomes understanding which tool or which system in order to, uh, to apply to that. And Vlad, I want to continue this conversation, but we do have some people to thank. Uh, so we want to thank Phoenix Contact uh, for sponsoring this theme and the entirety of the month of August. Um, and as part of that, we are happy to announce that Solus PLC, Vlad and, and his group that we talked about earlier, has about a month ago launched the PLC Next course, right? And so the course covers how to get started with the platform. And maybe Vlad's going to gonna hold up his PLC Next that's uh, currently on the floor. Krim the last. Oh, we've got it mounted, ladies and gentlemen. Uh Karim didn't have one to uh, to pick up, and it was uh, it was disappointing for all of our our watchers the last couple of weeks. But no, so the course covers how to get started on the platform, to create the program flows, how to implement ladder logic, structured text, and function block based on the IEC uh, sixty one one thirty one standards, as well as external communication. So we've got the hardware uh, configuration, the PLC engine, PLC Next engineer OP, uh, PLC programming. Um, that software package, the OPC UA communication, the Modbus implementations. I know that we're coming out with some MQTT at some point in the uh, in the future. And if you guys listened from a couple of weeks ago, um, PLC Next has the S PLC 1000, which is the extension module, uh, which turns the PLC Next into a Profi Safe controller. And uh, we're going to commit Vlad to uh, to adding that to the course at some point in the uh, in the near future because I'm reading the ad and I can do that sort of thing. Uh, but no, go ahead and check out solusplc.com if you want to go ahead and get in that course. And again, we want to thank uh, Phoenix Contact USA for sponsoring this theme and, and their continued support of the, uh, of the community. Vlad, throw it back to you. I do want to discuss the technological aspects. I want to save operational excellence. But before we get into that, I want to also you know go to our previous conversation where we kind of slammed the metaphorical Joe in the third shift, you know, that's maybe not doing his part or, and has been for many years. Uh, Joe. I want to ask you because I think I get this question a lot, right? Like as I want to say, as an engineer in manufacturing, I go to the production floor and there's going to be uh, techs or other engineers who are asking the question of, I'm looking to improve the process. I understand the process. I have, you know, a list of ideas and I'm having a really hard time getting buy-in from management. So I want to maybe also ask a broad question of how would you um, consult someone on getting through to management that there are good things that we could be implementing? And perhaps, you know, people who are listening to us talk right now have new ideas or are reignited, so to speak, to go and make some changes. How do you recommend that they approach that situation? David, you want to go first? Yeah, I'm happy to jump in. I actually just created a, a, a video speaking exactly to this point. Uh, and from my perspective and experience, how I would guide that is it really comes down to helping that person to present their idea in the form of data. Uh, because data just becomes too incredibly difficult to argue, even from a leadership standpoint. So the best way to do it is to gather the data, gather the facts and, you know, present it in a what I call a pretty specific framework 
Um, you know, but what it really comes down to is just presenting the problem, the solution, what the return on investment ultimately ends up being like, that's an even simpler, you know, a simpler version than what I, uh, put in that video. Um, but you know, to me, that's what it really comes down to because a lot of times it's easy from a leadership perspective to think people are leading with emotion and often they are because, you know, just in general, humans are selfish and so as, you know, to, to, to cut through that, if you come prepared with data and data that you can't necessarily argue. So what I mean by that is, you know, data that is uh, you, you are able to, to, you know, quantify uh, and, and have that discussion. Um, and that is literally the best way, hands down, because if you don't get it from your immediate uh, kind of leadership level, presenting that data to other leaders on that level and potentially even the next level up. Um, you know, again, you don't necessarily, I'm not recommending people sidestep their immediate chain of command, but I have seen situations where, you know, there's a significant enough opportunity that those conversations need to be had. And the best way to do it is with data. Max, your thoughts? Yeah, so I agree with David. And um, actually, I have a specific buy-in process, how to get buy-in. And also, I talked with a lot of people about coaching up. So there's a way to coach up to your boss, right, without them realizing that you're coaching them. <laughs> okay, so there's techniques you can use. And I agree, we need the data and the whole buy-in process. That's a whole session in itself. So I actually yeah. have some videos on that. <laughs> but, right, you got to get there, you got to take them through that process and you got to speak with data, right? I agree with David there. Maybe elaborating, I, uh, go ahead, Dave, go ahead. Dave. I, I was going to say, I, I think these are, you know, th this is, is great advice. Um, I, I'm going to share some hard learned knowledge that I found um, in my career is sometimes you're never going to convince the people, right? Uh, be it myself. Uh, so I've got a great story of a guy named Andrew. Uh, he, he and I uh, worked together on a project very briefly, right? And so he had come uh, from an end user and he was one of a, just a very couple like process engineers, really smart guy. They were having autoclave or potentially uh, furnace issues, right? And so they were having heating issues and he spent weeks or months going and collecting all of the data, right? He extrapolated out. He's like, this is what we need to do. It's going to increase quality by 20 or 30% and it's going to solve all of these other issues. And it fell on deaf ears until they hired some exceptionally expensive consultants to come in, collect exactly the same information, offer exactly the same solution. And the rest of the company bought in on it because they, they felt more comfortable paying an outside person to come tell them the information than they did going and trusting the, the person that uh, they had paid uh, to do the job. That was actually part of the reason why, why Andrew left um, why Andrew left that for, to the surprise of no one here. So I'm going to say, I think going to convince people, going to coach up, going to have a story that you can tell with data, all exceptionally good pieces of advice as long as you realize that sometimes th there's no chance that you're ever going to convince the person on the other side. And I would recommend if you're not good at, you know, the coaching method, don't try to do it in a group setting. You'll get slaughtered, right? So practice one-on-one, -on -one. practice with a coworker, right? 
Yeah, that's that's great advice. The other thing I would say to to kind of Dave to your point is it can be equally powerful to learn that about your organization, mm-hmm. right? And so, and that becomes an individual situation or an individual choice uh, where when you recognize things like that, and, and that happened to me personally, so I can kind of speak to that experience when the the kind of, you know, light bulb clicked that I was in a situation like that, I knew immediately that I, I was done there and, mm-hmm. and it took time to transition and all those things. But that for me, I'll never forget that moment because when I was having a conversation like that and that switch hit, it was like, wow, okay, well, this, this isn't the place for me anymore. So, yeah, have, you know, it can be twice. equally powerful. <laughs> it can be equally powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I want to continue the discussion on data. And I think, you know, bringing back the technology component that we mentioned at the end of the uh, PLC Next uh, introduction. So my thought is that, you know, there's two or uh, there's multiple train of thoughts when it comes to data. Some people want absolutely like every piece of data. Other people argue that we should only get very specific, you know, metrics that we're looking to maybe implement through our systems and track. Like, what are your thoughts on the, I want to say, the current manufacturing readiness when it comes to data and operational excellence initiatives? And I want to maybe, like, make it a little bit simpler, right? Like, when you go to a facility, do you typically have, do you typically see them have, like, too much data and it's unstructured? Do you see that there's not enough data to make the right decisions? Do you see that there's, you know, no data at all? Like, what are your general, like, thoughts? Like, what do you see in the field, ideas? comments or so I have maybe. so I have a statement that I use so when I go into companies they have a sea of data but no data I can see <laughs> I love that oh I like that one <laughs> so I help them take that sea of data and turn it into data that they can see because there's really from a system perspective there's very few points of data you need to understand how the system's performing but if I don't know what those are right I'm just looking at all this data and all this noise and I I don't know what to do with it. I would say in most cases, people are collecting way too much data. That's my opinion. Can, can you drill down a little bit more, Max, on the, the, the key points that you suggest? That, that I mean, what are the key points in that scenario that people need to be collecting data on? Because I know that's a question everyone in the comments is going to be asking. Um, so I usually start with a key performance indicator. So what's the drivers for the business? And, you know, I try to keep a few that are customer focused, a few that are internal focuses to David's point earlier. It's like, it's about serving the needs of the customer, but also serving the needs of the stakeholder. And then making sure that the processes that are supporting those are in alignment. If they're misaligned, that's where I see a lot of problems. And so I want to make sure that I'm, I understand what those key drivers are. And then I'm looking at the processes the data they're collecting. A lot of times I see misalignments like, well, all this data they're collecting. And then what I find is like a key piece of data I need is missing. So now it's like, now I can't do anything because it's like the one piece of data I need is missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I would add to, to what Max was saying is what I like to encourage people to do is to try to find opportunities to create uh, some lead indicators. So some lead KPIs, right? Because everybody's used to looking at what's already happened yesterday's news, but to look for ways to identify things, you know, to predict the future 
And, you know, the combination of those two things become extremely powerful. And, you know, the more kind of, Vlad, I think back to, to where you were going with the technology standpoint, the more kind of advanced that you are from a manufacturing perspective, really any company perspective, but, you know, to the structure kind of conversation, when you have things like ERP and, and access to that level of data and sophistication, and you are taking advantage of the, the, the kind of tools and data within those uh, types of technology, um, you know, it's a little bit easier to develop some of those lead KPIs for sure. Uh, and it's more readily available uh, because you can get access to that data much, much faster than, you know, kind of in some more manual fashions or in some other siloed uh, kind of systems slash technology. I'm not familiar with the lead KPIs. Could you, I guess, like unpack that a little bit or give a few examples? What, what does it mean I, to I actually have an example. Okay. Yeah, go, fire away, Max. So a lot of companies, when they look at their financials, right, they look at, oh, how do, how do we do last month? The end of the month syndrome right. is like, we're trying to get the financials for the, and then we look at how do we do? So today's the end of the month. So a lot of people are experiencing <laughs> the end of the month syndrome. Perfect timing. <laughs> yep. And they look at what they did last month, mm -hmm. but the leading indicators, like what I look at is what's their current backlog? Mm -hmm. What's the future potential to get the throughput through the system? If I, if my backlog is low, of course, I'm going to have a poor financial performance because I don't have enough volume to meet the demand. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at what's the backlog. That's an indicator of the financial performance of the company. That's a leading indicator. So you're looking to yeah. predict next month's performance in a way? Yes. Is, that, is that the thought? Yeah. Yep. So I, I would say, so what we say leading, right? So leading is forward looking versus lagging. So lagging is, right. is looking Backwards behind. looking. Yes. And yeah. so I, I feel like for anyone who's not familiar with the concept, we need to say most KPIs are, are lagging indicators, how we did in the past, not leading indicators, what we're doing in the future. And so if you're not familiar, the, the difference between the two, but you, you can continue, Max. Yeah, so that's so now I know if I have sufficient backlog and I can execute that, I'm going to have a good month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the and with something like that, you know, to kind of tack onto the point of how far into the future you can actually predict that, Vlad, when you have a sophisticated ERP system and you're used to running facilities based on data, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can drive it all the way down to the efficiency utilization and kind of resource allocation uh, down to the work center mm -hmm. uh, because you have access to all of that. So when you talk about understanding what the potential of your profitability is for next month, um, you know, when you have access to that level of sophistication within your system, which by the way is doable, had a lot of plants that we were doing this at daily basis, uh, you know, it it is it it is literally like predicting the future, and you can make decisions today that mm -hmm. will impact your month end. Uh, you know, so 15, 30 days out, I can mm -hmm. make planning decisions that will impact my month end. Uh, that is the power of systemization and data. Um, it's it's really amazing stuff when you tap into it. Interesting. And my assumption is that you would need to, uh, I guess, like cultural buy-in as well from the people, right? To kind of transform maybe that uh, train of thought of always looking behind, right? So there's maybe like an oversimplification that we're like discussing here, but probably a lot of effort takes place to kind of shift the, the mindset. Am I correct? In, yeah, in I would say 95% of the data that people are looking is lagging, right? They're looking at past right. performance. Nobody's looking yeah. forward. 
And the other thing I would add to that, kind of to that point, Vlad, like it's kind of one of the, I, I go back to one of the questions you asked a little bit earlier. It's how do you simplify these things when you maybe aren't that technologically advanced, right? Because a lot of manufacturers out there, out there aren't. Well, you could do things by like monitoring what your inbound activity look like. Well, how many conversations is customer service having on any given day? And and treat that as a KPI, as a lead KPI. I know if I'm having 20 conversations a day, chances are I'm going to convert 5% of yep. those. Chances mm-hmm. are that's going to result in a, a three-week, you know, turn time, which mm-hmm. is going to hit my fight. You can you can play it all forward, but you have to be thinking about it from that kind of perspective, which is a different mindset than what most people do. Most people are, are used to just reading what's already happened and saying, man, we had another bad month. What the heck are we going to do this month? Right. And, and by the way, it's already the first, you know, like you're already too late into this month. <laughs> so that's what I've observed many times for sure. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought. Like I said, I've not seen it done that way, but I could certainly see the, the idea and the benefit to, uh, to thinking more into the future. So when we, when we talk about KPIs like that, right? So it, it's very much organizational KPIs. And mm-hmm. typically, Vlad, when you and I are having conversations, we're talking about, you know, MES or we're talking about SCADA or we're talking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, information that data that we're pulling from PLCs to potentially feed into some machine learning in the future. Th- this is, these are much higher uh, th- these are much higher yeah. numbers, right? So some of those may matriculate upward into the KPIs, but organizationally, you need to have a, a core, you know, four, six, eight, ten KPIs that the organization is looking at. And in theory, so w- we've talked about in the past on this show of the CEO going and pulling up a dashboard on their phone to see how the organization is doing, to see if the facility is running, right? You're going to have that. But in in theory, they really want to see those, you know, four, six, eight, 10 numbers. And they see if all of those numbers are at the appropriate levels. They know that their facility is good today and they know that their facility is going to be good next month and into the future. So so that is kind of when we talk about KPIs and the the reason we have leading KPIs, that that is very much at that. A lot of the technology and the points that we talk about on this show are very much kind of potential feeders into that, right? So we've talked about MES, we've talked about OEE, we've talked about uh, manufacturing intelligence that leads into business intelligence that would bring us all around to what uh, to, to what these KPIs uh, look like. And it looks like David has a comment. I, I do, Dave, kind of to that point, like where I've seen it be successful, I think in kind of the realm that you guys are typically talking is, you know, from an IIoT standpoint, and let's say like preventative maintenance, right? Predicting when things are going to break down before they actually break down and whether that's through cycle counts or, you know, other types of monitoring uh, information. But I think that's a great use case for thinking about lead KPIs from a uh, more technological standpoint and IOT standpoint. Uh, and again, a lot of manufacturers are not that sophisticated, but uh, you know, we're heading in that direction. So there's definitely conversations that need to happen uh, in that arena and, and to get people's minds thinking about like kind of how exciting a lot of this stuff really is. I want to go back, Max, to your comment on the data lake, right? Or data swamp, data, I guess that there could sea be many, data. Data many, sea. 
data C, many synonyms to, um, to what you were mentioning. But I wanted to maybe discuss like how or what would be the steps to untangle that mess of data, right? Like when you come into an organization and you're faced with that reality, like how do you start or is there a framework? Is there an approach? Is there like a, a thought? Like do you have a predefined set of you know like first kpis and you list them out like let's get that in place then here's like a sub maybe data point that leads to into this like each kpi like how do you approach like figuring that out yeah so i always start with the kpis the higher level kpis and i call it like the vital signs like for our own health right my temperature my breathing rate my heart rate my blood pressure right those are the vital signs so i try to find those for the organization so we start there and then we start to look at the processes like Dave was saying that supports those and say, okay, now let's put the measurements in place that support those KPIs. And typically those are, you know, we start with KPIs and we start with um, critical success factors in order to achieve these, we got critical success factors and then we got some processes that support those. So we drive it down through the organization that way. Yeah, what I would add to, to what Max was saying is that, you know, it's going to be kind of dependent on, on what the goals of the organization are. So it's kind of difficult to lay out. I mean, everybody knows revenue, you know, gross profit, net profit, those types of things. But beyond the surface level and those, you know, high level vital signs that will be typically uh, similar across the board, you're going to have things where if an organization's kind of go-to-market is focused around quality, well, that needs to be a, a KPI. And then taking that one step further, you know, what about quality is it? You know, how is quality defined for that particular organization? Because what I've found is, you know, as we start throwing around terminology, people have a different definition of it. So one person's quality metric does not equal another person's quality metric because we could be talking about two very different things as they relate to quality. So I just wanted to make sure that that was pointed out that, you know, you can't just grab somebody else's KPIs because you're not building anybody else's business. It's very uh, specific uh, to your business and what you're trying to do in the marketplace and how that relates to your model. And speaking of that last, I guess, like chain of thought. So me and Dave in the past have had several discussions, I want to say of, I guess like two thoughts, right? Like number one is having cross industry experience, right? So imagine consulting with maybe like a background in oil and gas and you're going to observe a company that makes, uh, I don't know, snacks or any like food and beverage product. So that's like question number one, you know, like how do you think it's reapplicable across industries? But in that same, uh, like I want to say like train of thought again is having an external versus an internal resource. And me and Dave discussed this in in great detail is that the thought is having someone with maybe like a fresher set of eyes look at the same problem that's been, you know, there for years, decades is a like huge benefit. So I want to maybe have a discussion around both of those points in no particular order. David, what, what are your <laughs> thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I think to your point, Vlad, I think having somebody external that maybe isn't necessarily industry specific 
can bring, uh, you know, a, a different kind of light into, you know, shed a different light on the problem, if you will. But that, in my opinion, has to be coupled with people that have, you know, deep subject matter expertise. So, you know, while I've spent more than 25 years doing these things, uh, there are still going to be things because I've not been in the weeds for, you know, so long and I'm looking at high level strategy and tactical things, right? You have to bring in that subject matter expertise at the at the line level, if you will, to, you know, get a clear and full picture. So I think there is benefit to having people outside of the industry, uh, fresh ideas. They've seen different technological advances. So if we're talking about technology, they've seen things implemented maybe in, in this particular industry that requires uh, some advancement there versus maybe this other industry that can get by with, you know, some more manual systems and processes. So I think there's a value in, uh, in engaging people that, that have a, a broad, uh, you know, range of experience. So I got a quick story about that. So I actually did a doctor's office. And so when they brought me in, the head doctor said to me, so what's your experience in the medical industry? I said, zero. That's why you need me. And he like stepped back. He's like, wow, I wasn't expecting that answer. <laughs> and because I'm going to look at it from a different perspective, they're all looking at it from the same perspective. I'm going to look at it from a different perspective. And I had the same thing in an oil refinery. They're like, what's your experience in oil refining? I don't have any. You have PhDs on staff in oil refining. You don't need another oil refining expert. Yeah, I think you nailed it earlier, Max, with your, uh, you know, with your quote uh, in terms of, you know, the the system is perfectly designed for, you know, the, for the results that it uh, that achieves in that situation. Because, uh, you know, yes, you need somebody that has, you know, can answer the questions that are close to the process, but you need somebody that knows what questions to ask in the first place. You know, if you don't know what questions to ask, you're standing around you know, asking the same questions. So. And David, I wanted to get your opinion too on, cause I see in organizations is like they have a certain level of knowledge, right? So then of course I've saw that people can't do something that's beyond their level of knowledge. So organizations can get to a certain level and then all of a sudden they get stuck. Right. And they can't get past that. Now you got to bring in more knowledge. Do you have any comment around that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of the opposite of the brains at turnover situations, whether it's, you know, a, a, a first generation to second generation business, whether there's high levels of turnover due to negative events. Um, it's to me, it's the opposite of that brain drain. Right. So same same problem set a different way. And the reality of it is, uh, you know, having some systemization uh, you know, to build off of when you're going the other way versus that's the savior when you're trying to backfill. So that's, you know, that would be kind of my experience with it. It, it, it one comes down, comes back to the systemization side of things. And then two, kind of to, to the point that we were just talking about, when you have reached a plateau in your organization, don't be afraid to look outside of that silo, maybe out of that vertical to bring in that fresh perspective. And I've seen some crazy things happen from a growth standpoint when you tap into the, the person that shares the vision and you have the, you know, the base layer of systemization underneath that to build on. 
So I look at it from that, you know, like same problem said two different ways. And the the one thing that brings it all together is the systems. Just one way it's holding you up. The other way it's your base to build on further. Dave, did you have a comment? Yeah, no, I, I was going to, I was going to agree uh, with these as, as we've talked about systems, you know, I'll say systems seven more times in this comment, just to, to really drive it home. Right. But if, if you are coming in to go work on a system, if you look at a facility or facilities as a system, it doesn't matter if you're making peanut butter or refining gas or printing newspapers or making airplanes, everything is a system. The intrinsic value that you bring are the tools that you have to go solve the problems and the questions that you asked. Uh, back to my kind of earlier comment on, on good, stable organizations, which are the majority that I go in and work with, they have 90% of the knowledge. It's the person's goal coming in in order to bring that knowledge out. As, as Max said, you know, they have PhDs doing whatever in that. They, they have people who've been working there for 20, 30, 40 years they're going to bring in maybe one person in the world that has more knowledge of that particular type of environment, but they're probably not going to be able to solve the problem because they're, they're looking at that person would look at it from the 50 years they had of working at one very particular place, as opposed to let's look at everything in a system, come in with, with fresh eyes as, as has been described and go kind of drill down to the actual root of the uh, root of the problem because again, most of those people have the answers trapped within them. They just don't know they have it and they don't know how to, to bring it out. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Dave. I, I want to, as, as we maybe continue or wind down the conversation as we're already past the hour, I want to ask kind of like a fundamental slash like training question, right? So we've mentioned a couple of resources in the middle of the discussion but if uh, a listener again this could be someone coming in from like a plant standpoint and maybe they're realizing that we need someone who's good at operational excellence and perhaps they want to train somebody uh, internally or maybe someone who's listening in who's in engineering or a technician and wants to learn more about how to maybe apply some of these methodologies like what are your recommendations or when of how they could most effectively train themselves and this could be again maybe like a couple of books i think would be interesting uh, i know like your websites certainly have a lot of information as well but also maybe like in-person trainings that someone uh maybe willing to invest in would uh would be interested in as well any thoughts david max yeah so what i'm trying to do yeah, one of my ahead. one of my core things is to be able to train people right and be able to have them apply the training. So I do a lot of training where it's, it's hands-on. So we do the theory and then we do the application in their business. So it's not just me talking, it's actual application. I walk them through the process. That's why I do the videos. I actually work working with a college now to do online courses. And there's tons of information in YouTube, right? It's like, there's so much free information out there. It's like, you just got to take the time and it's like, don't be afraid to make mistakes. It's like, don't get analysis paralysis, right? Don't try, you know, like, oh, I'm not ready to implement it. Try implementing, right? That's how I got my experience. It's like, I failed so many times. It's like, well, don't do that again, right? And then try again. 
Yeah, so so <laughs> so true, <laughs> Max. I share a lot of those a lot of those bruises uh, with you. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's tons of stuff available on YouTube. Kind of, you know, uh, tack on to to Max's sentiment there. Uh, you know, if you're talking about books and things to just kind of learn in general, whether we're talking about, you know, quality management, kind of lean management, like all things under the sun, operational excellence. One of my favorite resources is ASQ. Uh, they have a tremendous website. So ASQ.org, uh, tons of free information on there as it relates to uh, quality management. Um, you know, you can obviously become a member. They have a LinkedIn group. That's really great. There's a Lean Six Sigma group on LinkedIn. That is also really good, full of a lot of resources. Um, you know, book wise, uh, you know, Max, you mentioned, you know, being trained under, uh, you know, Gold Rat. I mean, that book, uh, series of books is amazing. Um, you know, the goal, uh, you know, there's so many, it, it, to me, it comes down to like, what's the medium you enjoy learning the most? Because there's tremendous podcasts, there's tremendous YouTube channels, there's tremendous books, there's tremendous online courses. Find the medium that, you know, speaks to you and that you feel like you gain the most out of. And then to Max's point, don't be afraid to make mistakes, get your hands dirty and, you know, go through the iteration. The practice is much more important than the flawless execution. That stuff comes later and you will see marginal improvement the more times you just try. Uh, so I, I think that's a good place to stop. Uh, you know, there's uh, tons and tons of resources out there for free, for free and paid, you know, whatever, whatever wherever you want to go. And I would recommend getting a mentor. I mean, the Great mentors advice. I had were Dr. Goldratt and Dr. Deming, but you know, most but, you of know, the videos you, and stuff you can I settle for one of us, yeah. I guess. You know, yeah, like, Max geez, isn't going to name drop on that's this. That's how to follow, man. Jeez, OP. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so, yeah. You should, uh, you should just be Max and, and have two of the uh, two of the smartest people to, uh, to ever write on this subject as your mentors. Thank you, uh, th- thank you for that, Max. That was that was really no. Easy. So, so I have one more bit of advice so when when they say things right just don't listen to what they're saying understand what they're trying to the message that they're getting across because there's they can say one statement and it's so deep right mm-hmm. that you got to step back and say what what is he trying to say to me I uh, I think all of those are are really good. I would say to kind of add on to that, go and I think we've discussed it a bit, but go take those things that you learn either through YouTube or through reading or through forums and blog posts, um, and and go find ways to to utilize those in your everyday life. So we talked a little bit about process mapping and value stream mapping. I think that that's some low hanging fruit for many facilities that you can go walk through your facility to try to understand the flow of everything. And that is one easy to do. You can do it in parts. It's going to force you to talk to a bunch of different people as part of your organization. And then you're going to go see, see, you know, issues and bottlenecks and other potential ways to go improve the facility as you go through that. So late nineties through mid two thousands value stream mapping was like all the rage, right? There were people who would come in and do week long seminars just on value stream mapping with management facilities or with managements in there. And that was kind of the whole value prop is we're going to go do value stream mapping. We're going to find ways to increase profitability. So tons of great tools 
um, out there on value stream mapping and everything else. Um, and then because Max and David won't, I was going to say, you guys can go check out Future State Engineering, go check out the Chrysler Club. I'm sure both of these guys would be happy to have conversations with you um, if you're geographically close or, or otherwise uh, on ways that they can go help you either in the short term or in the, uh, in the long term as part of, uh, as, as part of what they do all day, uh, all day, every day. I know for a fact that Max has like, I don't know, 400,000 hours worth of PowerPoint uh, trainings um, available uh, to, to himself. He spent years of his life uh, dumping all of that out on PowerPoints and, and he will murder you on, on any particular topic. If you want to sit in the, uh, if you want to sit there and he will just, uh, he will just go ahead and talk you to death in, uh, in both a, a good and potentially a slightly bad way because, uh, because people would, would be dead um, with that. But uh, I, I know we are getting close Vlad, I'm thinking we go have final thoughts um, and, and allow everyone to uh, to go around and give final thoughts or, or any feedback or suggestions. What, are you good with that? Yes, sir. Awesome, David. Uh, you get to uh, you get to be up first. Do you have any final thoughts or suggestions? Um, do you have any final thoughts or suggestions? Yeah, I, I think when you know I kind of uh, play back the conversation that we had, which was tremendous, by the way. So thank you guys so much for you know inviting me on here and, and letting me be a part of this. I had a, had a ton of fun with you guys. So um, yeah, but when I think about the conversation, you know, I, I think there's some different themes there, and when I think about it as it relates to the topic, you know, don't be afraid to just get started. And don't be afraid to just get started with the tools that you have. If you don't have access to a lot of data, it's okay to use pen and paper. If you don't have access to a fancy tool that helps you do process mapping, it's okay to literally use sticky notes and a whiteboard. It's actually my favorite way to do it. You know, don't be intimidated by the techniques, by the tools. Uh, as I've said many times, you know, if you need a hammer, go get a hammer, right? It doesn't matter if it's a craftsman or a snap-on, they still both hammer. So, you know, don't be mesmerized by all of those types of things. Understand where the problems are, engage your folks. They know where the bodies are buried. Start asking questions and be prepared to spend a little money, implement the things that they are suggesting and do it as literally as fast as you can. Get the results, review, revise, repeat, right? I like that. Beautiful. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, so my advice is, um, you know, it's a mindset change. So I've, I've never met David. This is the first time I met him, and I'm surprised how like-minded we are, right? <laughs> and so I had to a, read the books, just so you know, Max. I, I didn't <laughs> get the the edge, the first-hand education. I had to just read the books. So, <laughs> And so it's about mindset. So do the education, right? Um, understand the concepts, Again, get a mentor if you can, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Like, just jump in. It's like, yeah, you need to learn how to get buy-in, but there's stuff out there to teach you to do that. And there's unlimited opportunities for improvement in organizations. You just got to start somewhere. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think all of these are, are fantastic, uh, fantastic points. Vlad, do you have any thoughts before... I asked Dave and Max to tell people where to find them and then we say goodbye. I would say, you know, an interesting thought was the conversation we had around the managing like upwards. I think that I've certainly found myself in a position where 
I couldn't clearly articulate, you know, a good solution maybe. And so that's, I think, something that a lot of people are working on. And so I'm like curious about the materials that both of you have mentioned uh, in that area. But overall, I mean, like there, there's a lot of very interesting points and certainly a lot of information to explore uh, across the board. Absolutely. I would say all of these are, are good points. Um, there is certainly lots of things for for everyone to learn. I would say speed is exceptionally important uh, when it comes to any of these and even if you don't have the best buy-in when you go to start some of these, you know, transformations, when you go to start some of these mindset shifts, a couple of quick wins, as I think both Dave and Max have mentioned, are going to start to change the mindset of the people that you work with. And if you can get the quick wins, the organization will change whether it intended to um, in the beginning or not. Um, but no, I think that's fantastic. Dave, will you let everyone know uh, where to find you if they want to reach out? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Um, I, my biggest social platforms that I'm active on are LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, you can find me by searching my full name, David Chrysler. Uh, and then on our website, which is thechrysler.club. And an important note, my name has no H in it like the car. So uh, spelled C-R-Y-S-L-E-R, -E a common misconception. Absolutely. I, I would like thank you for uh, for clarifying that. Every time I go to search uh, for Dave on LinkedIn, I absolutely spell his name uh, incorrectly with an H in it uh, the first time. And then I'm confused why I can't find him. So Chrysler with no H uh, for the Chrysler uh, dot club. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Max, uh, tell everyone uh, where they can find you, please. Yeah, so my main platform is LinkedIn. So just search for me on LinkedIn, Max Krug. Mm -hmm. um, also, we got a company, um, what our page on LinkedIn, Future State Engineering. Um, we have our YouTube channel where I post videos, Future State Engineering, and feel free to email me. You can email me right from the website, put in your information. I do um, a weekly uh, email with you know tips and ideas. So if you want to get on that weekly email, just send me your information. Absolutely. No, I would say if you guys are not connected to them and are watching this live, please feel free to uh, to go ahead and connect. They're both a, a wealth of knowledge, but I'm always happy to see their, uh, their, their videos and other things as I go through. Uh, but no, uh, with this, Vlad, welcome back to Manufacturing Hub and everyone thank you for, for joining us. If you have made it this far, please feel free to go do the like and subscribe things. If you're listening on pod, podcast form, uh, please rate us five stars, hit the subscribe and the follow. We launch new podcasts every Thursday. Uh, we used to do it every morning, but but now we can commit to the day of the week. So we launch new podcasts every Thursday, which is the audio format of these great videos. Um, and then as you guys are doing that, please feel free to subscribe to the Solus PLC YouTube channel and go check us out on manufacturinghub.live. Again, a huge thanks to Phoenix Contact for sponsoring this month of August and all of these amazing conversations. If you guys have thoughts or feedback on these roundtable formats and are enjoying them as much as we are or absolutely hate them, I suppose we'd love feedback uh, both ways. Uh, please feel free to drop Vlad and I a line. You guys can find us, uh, Vlad at Solus PLC me at uh, kaplan.io and you guys of course can find us uh, kind of all of those places feel free to, uh, to drop comments let us know what you think and we'll see everyone live next wednesday afternoon until then thank you all bye-bye everyone thank you david thank you max